Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to show number 297 from Engage for Success. Uh, I'm your host for today's show. I'm Joe Moffat, and uh, I'm going to be talking today with Mitchell Levy, who's joining us. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the topic of thought leadership, um, how you uh, can position yourself in that field, how you know what it actually means um, and how it can be a very valuable tool, both for uh, personal and professional and, and commercial uh, development, really. So um, welcome to the show, Mitchell. Good to have you with us. Hey, I'm so happy to be part of show 297. What a beautiful number. It's amazing, isn't it? I and mean, we've been doing this show for nearly six years or just over six years now, I think. So, um, yeah, it's it's amazing. And we are booking our guests for nearly a year down the track. So um, <laughs> congratulations. We, we, That's it awesome. is great. When we first started, we were, we were booking guests a few, you know, about two, three, four weeks ahead if we were lucky. And now we've got a, a waiting list. So uh, so that's great. So thank you for joining us. Um, we've just been discussing the uh, in the way that we British people do the uh, the weather situation. And I've been bemoaning the fact that uh, as I'm talking to Mitchell, he is in a sunny California and waking up to a blue sky, sunshiny day. Um, and I'm afraid the UK, um, as befits a bank holiday weekend, is looking a little bit gloomy. But never mind. I'm sure the topic will will keep us going. Um, so, as I say, we're going to be talking about uh, thought leadership and, and why organisations need more thought leaders. And I know from um, previous conversations that you and I have had, Mitchell, that you're very keen on this concept as something that has value both inside and outside of organisations. And that chimes very much with me. Um, in my my day job outside of Engage for Success, I run my own creative agency and our proposition is inside out thinking for brands. Um, and it's all about utilizing your brand uh, to engage external audiences as well as, as well as internal and deliver a consistent experience of that brand inside and out. So certainly what you were saying uh, chimes with me there. Um, so we'll get it. We'll move on to that in a, in a moment. But perhaps we can just kick off. Um, apart from the fact that we've discovered we both share the same birthday. Uh, no, is that crazy? <laughs> absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about you um, professionally and, and, and also, you know, what your, how your experiences to date have sort of shaped your thinking and your approach to, to this topic. Oh, what a beautiful question. You know, probably let's let me just start with the end product. Let me tell you what we deliver. And then and we'll step back and, and, and I'll talk about how we get there. So I am Mitchell Levy, a global credibility expert. And we work with busy, successful professionals who recognize the need for a book, but they have zero time. So here's what you have to imagine, Joe. Four months from today, you could be an Amazon best-selling author. We will have ghostwritten, published, distributed, made you an Amazon best-selling author, and you will have spent about five hours of time. So we, we press the easy button. Okay. That's so, tempting. Oh, oh, it's so tempting. And it's, you know, when we, when I go into detail with people, what I often hear is uh, at the, at the end or middle of the conversation, somebody's going to stop me and they go, Mitchell, I, first of all, I can't believe it. And you realize you're, you're about a fourth of what I just paid for the same service. And, and I always, instead of trying to make somebody feel bad, I go, well, maybe you have a better book. Um, <laughs> oh, and oh, wait, a, a fourth of what we pay for the service. And it is um, uh, going to take us 14 months instead of four. 
Right. So let me just say what I delivered today is is kind of the end goal of what I was trying to do for a long time. But let me let me step back. I'm in Silicon Valley. I've been here for 30 years during the dot com days, which essentially 1997 to 2001. I was known as Mr. E-commerce. I was going around to corporations, letting them know that there is going to be a new way that we interact with customers. We might actually talk to them directly. There is going to be a new supply chain effort. There's going to be a new set of customer service was going to come in and become that much more valuable. And surprisingly, even though I'm Silicon Valley, there are still people who said, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And we know what the Internet did and where it is today. Uh-huh. What I started in 2005 as a publishing company, and between 2005 and 2017, and, and this is going to, you're going to look at this and say, Mitch, why did it take so long? We published over 800 books, but I could tell you that I was servicing the wrong audience. And you're like, Mitchell, how did that happen? And I, I, I kept trying to create a company that would satisfy me. Right. And and what I wanted to do is I wanted to figure out how do you write a book quicker? How do you get your how do you get it out there where I personally was going to be writing the book? And then let me tell you just a little bit about something about human nature. At the end of 2016, I ran a Kickstarter for our platform. It's AHA that A-H-A-T-H-A-T dot com. So I, I ran a Kickstarter for that. It hit 250 percent of goal. And. And just as a trick for anyone running a Kickstarter, how you do a Kickstarter successfully or any crowdfunding campaign, you take a product or service you offer in today's world and you offer it at a discount. So we had 20 people pay us that if they uh, if they wrote their book and at the time, and this is the end of 2016, we had a eight. Uh, I'm sorry, a three step process. It would take eight hours to write a book. So 20 people paid us that if they wrote their book, we'd publish it. All right, so let's fast forward to the end of 2017, uh, and this is when I figured out I was things were, were going wrong. First, I, I did a I did a TED talk then, and for those that are interesting, you you could just Google either Mitchell Levy TED talk or being seen and being heard as a thought leader, and my both my book and my uh, TED talk will pop up. So I did a TED talk. It got me thinking about the world in a new way, and then here's the scary part: of the 20 people who paid us. Joe, only two of them wrote their book. So this is two out of 20. Right. And, and, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. So so that bothered me. So then I went to uh, I went to five of them and said, hey, listen, what if we write it for you? Uh, mm-hmm. One person said yes. And so now I say that three people wrote their book. So that means three out of 20 actually wrote their book. What it really says, let's do the corollary. 17 people couldn't find eight hours in a 12-month period to do something they paid for that would be beneficial for them. Hmm. All right. So, by the way, I'm almost done with my summary. So, here's what's interesting. So, to make matters worse, I went to my friends in the online learning space. I went to my friends in the internet marketing space, and I told them what happened. And here's what they said. And, by the way, if, you, if you're ready to cringe, get ready. Mm-hmm. They said, Mitchell... Do you realize that three out of 20 is a 15% utilization rate? That's fantastic. Right. So, by the way, that's not the business I'm in. I no, don't no. feel I am. I don't think anyone should be in a business that if you get a 15% utilization rate of your product or service that you should be happy. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just nuts. So that's when I kind of realized 
that what I wanted to do, how I wanted to serve my client base is I wanted to make sure that if they're going to pay me for something, they actually get results. So, so that's when we switched over 2018. I built the infrastructure. 2019 uh, is amazing because 2018 was to make sure that we can do this uh, basically four months from start to, to end. Um, at the end of four months, we then help them do an audio book as well. So it's hardcover, paperback, PDF, Kindle, and an audio book. The, the fascinating part is, and this is a fun part for me, Joe, 2019 is the year of the partner. So who am I playing with? Because, and, and I'll, I'll stop as soon as we finish this. If somebody wrote a book and doesn't tell anyone about it, it's kind of like a tree falling in a forest and no one being around. Hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Did they Absolutely. really write the book? No. So in today's world, going back to thought leadership, in order to be seen as a credible person, you need to be able to have the types of things that, that can show you have credibility. Mm -hmm. You know, you could spend a couple of years and a couple hundred K, get a PhD, or you could write a book or have someone write a book for you. Mm -hmm. um, and that content comes from you. It's your content. It's your words. It's your aha messages. So and it's, still got, it's, still got, it's still got intellectual credibility and rigor and, and it's still robust. It's not. Yeah, it's just you, you have a, a way of helping somebody bring that out of themselves and put them package it up into a, a readable format. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's interesting is, yeah, we <laughs> our books, I, the simplest form of our books have uh, seven blog posts and 140 aha messages. And only you only need to capture somebody's attention. You only need one. You need to be able to say something that somebody goes, aha, that's mm -hmm. unique. Mm -hmm. so, so if you want, I'll, I'll share an aha message either from a couple of my books or at least one. This is from the book Being Seen and Being Heard as a Thought Leader. It's aha number four. And, and as soon as you hear it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, this is true for almost anyone who works for any company I work with. So let me just say what aha number four says. Uh, and this is the this is the ultimate definition of a thought leader. And what it says is good thought leaders are at the top of the mountain. Great thought leaders are at the bottom of the mountain, helping others climb up. OK, I like that. Yeah. So, I can, yeah. So, yeah. So when you listen to that, what and, and this is what a quintessential aha message is, is when you hear that, you the first thing you should say to yourself is, well, if I'm a leader in an organization, even if I don't have a team of people beneath me, but I'm talking to clients, who have I helped climb the mountain yesterday, the week before? What are my plans to help those I work with climb the mountain tomorrow? Hmm. And and that's what, what today's world is. It's very simple when you're talking about thought leadership and branding. When we buy a product or we buy a service from a company, we we're not buying from the brand. We're buying from the experience. Even if, if you bought an Apple product and you went into an Apple store and the person behind the store was so horrible, you hated the experience. What would you think about Apple? Hmm. You'd hate the, you'd hate the product. That is why Apple spends so much time hiring bright shipper uh, people who are knowledgeable behind the store and they go out of their way to make you happy. Because it's overall experience that matters. It's not just the product you're buying. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm certainly with you there. That whole intrinsic link between the uh, customer experience and the employee experience or the customer 
customer loyalty, customer engagement and employee engagement. You, you, you can't separate them really, can you? Exactly. Okay. So tell, tell me a little bit then. Uh, I mean, you, obviously you have a, a process and a system for sort of bringing these, these bringing somebody's thoughts to the fore. Um, but how do you do you see a, a thought leader in how does somebody go about becoming a thought leader inside an organization if you know say they're starting say they're in the early years of their career and they're just sort of starting out on the corporate ladder what are the sorts of things they they need to be thinking about to begin to shape themselves as a thought leader you know i i think what i'm going to talk about are all the things that you kind of knew, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe your mom talked about it when you were growing up, or your parents, or what have you. It's, you know, it's about uh, th first think about the word servant leadership. Think about helping other people be successful. Mm -hmm. Think about as a thought leader or somebody who's growing into that role. Think about consuming content. Think about taking a look at being the best person you can in whatever role you have today. What does it mean to be the best person you can? Well, uh, going through with whatever customer service surveys that people are having, mm -hmm. taking a look at things that you do well, continuing those, taking a look at things that you don't do well and enhancing, uh, reading books, reading online uh, uh, blog posts, watching videos, uh, listening to podcasts, um, reading books and then summarizing what you've read and what you're interpreting and what you're seeing and sharing because what we one of the misconceptions people have is is if I'm a thought leader that means I'm coming up with original content all the time and people are going wow that's unique and the mm -hmm. answer is no that's not necessarily true I've known thought leaders who really never came up with original thought, but what they are doing is they're seeing what's out there in a the marketplace and they're interpreting it for the audience they're interacting with. Mm, mm. So I, I, you yeah, I like, I like, sorry, no, I was sorry. Gonna, you know, as I, I said that it's that I like that point about interpreting it. It's kind of like taking something and telling that story in your own words in a way that's relevant to the people that are around you, isn't it? Exactly. So what that does, first of all, it, it relieves pressure, yeah. <laughs> right? Because yeah. think about think about it in another way. When you buy a product or service, let's go back to the the Apple Store. Mm -hmm. Let's say you have a problem with your app. You're already a customer. You go back to the Apple Store and you say, hey, this is broken. I need help. Mm -hmm. Whoever you talk to, it's a it's a it's not a nameless, faceless person. You're going to talk to somebody. If that person gives you an answer. You want it to be the answer, don't you? Yes. You want it to come from your personal thought leader that's been assigned to you to help you with your issue. Now, that's true with an Apple store. I mean, think about this for your your anyone who has a cell phone coverage today. <laughs> you know, you, you dial in the U.S. We dial six one one. I don't know what the number is in in the U.K. But when you when you when you ask for help, mm -hmm. you know, or <laughs> what happens? Well, if you call once, you get one answer. You call back, you get a different answer. You call a third time, you get a third answer. At some point in time, these companies have to go away when some other company comes along that actually represents and understands what customer service is. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so really, that's what we're doing in as a society is, and this is what my TED talks about. We're in the midst of the most massive transformation mankind or humankind has ever gone through, and we're transforming from the industrial age to the social age. The industrial age, the company was important. Uh, the consumer was not important at all, and the consumer just consumed the products that the company created. The company was this nameless, faceless thing. Mm-hmm. Well, so you, yeah, you we, can have it in any color you like, so long as it's black. Exactly. Yeah. And and we're moving towards the social age, and I think we're halfway there. Now, by the way, between 1920 and 2019, that 100-year period, we've made it 50% of the way there. That right. other 50% is happening in the next decade or two. And the next decade is focused around the consumer. It's focused around choice. It's focused around delivering value. It's less around the coolness of the product and around it's more around the service that's being delivered. So everyone in your organization that touches a customer in any way needs to be their basically their own thought leader, their own recognized expert. When you're dealing with a customer representative, you want to get the best of. And so if you're not treating your employees properly, if you're not treating them in such a way and empowering them to deliver the best value to your existing customers, your existing customers are going to go away. They're going to find somebody who does. Mm -hmm. So interestingly then, Mitchell, your your premise is not that – Within an organization, uh, there are going to be a number of people who become thought leaders and perhaps some of those thought leaders are people who are particularly ambitious and successful in their careers. What you're actually arguing, if I've understood you right, is that actually everybody ought to be a thought leader of some sort or has the capacity to be a thought leader of some sort. We can all be micro. We can be kind of microcosms of bigger thinking in our own in our own world, whether it's thought leader in when we're on the when we're working in a call center dealing with a customer inquiry or whether we're a thought leader in our social community with our friends because we're the expert on how to grow vegetables or, you know, I'm making that up. But you see where I'm going with that? Oh, you know, it's really funny. This is a this is a relatively new concept, given the evolution of where the world is today. So it's a relatively new way for me to say that, because if I said that five or 10 years ago, everyone would laugh at me. Um, but the truth is, yes, that's where we're heading. It, it completely changes the transfer, the, the definition of the word thought leader. And, and by the way, guess, guess what? We all are carrying with us a computer that's more powerful you know, than the computers of 20 years ago in our pocket. Anyone who wants access to information to be able to give us the best answer on a particular area, all they have to do is ask the right question to their phone because mm. they have it with us. And mm. the new generation, this is it's just attached at their hip. So to the answer to your question is yes. I mean, when was the last time you sat around at a dinner party and somebody said something and they go and you said, oh, let me look at the Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, let me do that tomorrow. It's a pain in the butt. You know, people open yeah. up their phone, they Google it, and they give you the answer immediately. Life has mm. changed. Mm. Mm. But but you know, isn't there isn't there something also though about the fact that yes, we are we are completely there's no shortage of information. There's absolutely no shortage of information, so, and it is absolutely there at our fingertips. But actually, the trick is being able to 
cut through that information to the bit that matters or interpret that information in a way that's relevant or apply that knowledge to be the solution at, that, at any given time to any given problem. And that's the skill, isn't it? That's that is beautiful. And I have to tell you, you just summarized what's absolutely wrong with educational systems around the world. <laughs> right. You know, when we now go to university for any subject, it's not about what we could memorize and regurgitate. We should be being taught a very simple thing, how to ask the right question and how to interpret the results. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and also to understand, I mean, it's interesting. This is a conversation I've, I've had a lot here and we're certainly a very lively conversation in the UK from a political perspective at the moment. This sense that has our education system in recent years failed us because people are no longer or people don't seem to be able to assess the veracity of information or whether information, where's that? What's the source of that information? And does that information that does the source of that information therefore influence whether you should trust it or not? Um, and are we, you know, can we assess research? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really interesting and, and it's very unfortunate. Um, and I think for those that are listening, here's, here's the, let me just go back to what I said. Mm -hmm. We are 50% in the, in the transition from the industrial age to the social age. People don't really know what that means. And, and the problem that you see in the UK, in the US and around the world is that the jobs that existed yesterday don't exist today. Mm. The jobs that exist today will not exist tomorrow no. because we're in this massive transformation of as a, society, as a society, as a human species, what do we do? How do we make money? How do we interact? So if you wanna be relevant tomorrow, just keep up to speed with, with what's happening. Try your best to interpret the technology and what it means for the customer base you're interacting with. And yes, there's lots of information. And, and the question is, and, and this is one of those things sitting in Silicon Valley, I've seen so many people who have just become obsolete. And it's not because they were told by their companies to be obsolete. It's just simply by the educational system. They said, by the way, when you graduate with this degree, that's all you ever need for the rest of your life. Well, that's no longer true. It's just not going <laughs> to happen, is it? No. No, no. It's, it's continual, lifelong learning. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and this is what's fun for me, it's who is my client? This is what I ask. This, by the way, this is how we do a book. It's mm -hmm. very simple. When somebody wants to do a book, I ask a very simple question. What is your CPOP? And CPOP is short for what is your customer point of pain? Right. So if you know who your customers are and you know what the point of pain is that they're trying to solve and you could figure out a way to solve it and you can continually change who you are and what you do. I mean, that's why I could say, you know, it took me too long between 2005 and 2017, publishing 800 books and serving the wrong audience. But I could say <laughs> right now. In 2018, we perfected the system. 2019, the fun part is I'm finding partners to play with. I'm finding people who, and, and this is what I look at. <laughs> we think of it as for the credibility expert, for the thought leader, mm -hmm. we are providing electricity. We're providing that tool, that book 
where basically imagine you're spending five hours or over a four month period. We're taking your words, your concepts, your thoughts, and we're making you a recognized Amazon best-selling author. Well, what I'm doing now is finding the partners. So we, we produce electricity. I'm finding the partners that essentially are the appliances. They're the people who will take you in that book and take you to the next level. Whether it's speaking, coaching, whether it's uh, putting you on stage, uh, whether it's social media, PR, uh, working with LinkedIn. I mean, so I'm having fun because I'm continually reinventing who I am, who my company is, and trying my best to make sure I stay in front of what my audience needs. And if you listen, if you're listening to this right now, you've got to be doing this for your company. Who's your client, where they're going, who's your new client coming in the door, and how could you satisfy their CPOP? So do you do you see then that um, thought leaders need to be individual, personal people within an organization? Or can a can an can a can a business be a thought leader corporately? So can I say yes and? <laughs> Go on then. Right? Because so in the old days, it was simply just that iconic company or that iconic person was the and the only thought leader. Mm. Well, now that everyone has a camera and everyone has a microphone, um, what it comes down to is when you think about a entity, you're not most consumers no longer think about the brand. Uh, and, and going back to what I said with Apple, they're not just thinking about the brand Apple. They're thinking about the interaction they had with the people at Apple, right? Mm -hmm. So so the answer is for companies, you have an overall overarching brand and who are you and how do you service your audience? But if you don't follow that up by reinforcing the messaging with your employee base, if they're not empowered to be successful at delivering value in a way that's congruent with your brand in the marketplace, there's a discongruity. Oh, I can't say the word. It's not coming out. Discongruity. Discongru Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I couldn't even do it once. You could try discongruousness, but I don't think that's a proper word. No, that sounds cool, though. Uh, but <laughs> it probably would get your uh, points on a Scrabble board. So the, the interesting part is, is it's a little bit of both, right? You need to have a brand and what you stand for as a company. Mm -hmm. But the actual delivery of the promise of the brand come from the individual. So if you could have not just one, but two or three or 10 or 20 or hundreds or in IBM's cases, tens of thousands of thought leaders inside your organization. Well, that changes the that changes the marketplace, right? Because every thought leader inside a company has a following and everyone who's following that thought leader is also, by definition, following the company. It changes everything. So, so tell me, Mitchell, how does an organ? You you cited IBM there as having thousands. How how did they how did they go about creating those thousands of thought leaders? Was that through some kind of learning and development initiative, or 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 what? It must have been. Yeah, a they, they actually made a conscious effort to have a series of people be recognized as experts in their space. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's training. Uh, the marketing people are focused on getting the brands out of those of those people in the marketplace. It's it's speaking. It's writing. It's the types of things that people typically do to get their brand out. Um, right. But it's the recognition that it's and this is the hard thing for companies to recognize. It's the recognition that a thought leader for a company is also a thought leader as an individual effort. You can't if if all every IBM employee did is is tout how amazing IBM was and was so over the top. That sounds a little bit more like an evangelist, not Mm -hmm. like a thought leader. Mm -hmm. And evangelists don't feel like they have integrity. And, and this is what my TED talk went to. You can't be trusted unless you have you demonstrate vulnerability, integrity and authenticity. And so if you're 100 percent evangelical towards a company, you're not going to be trusted. That's not a thought leader. Right. Thought leader, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So there's more, as you said, the word you used at the beginning was credibility. And, uh, and and then you've just been talking about authenticity and, and that's vital. It's not just spouting the company line. It is actually being able to have a considered, thoughtful, credible point of view and an opinion that is supportable by facts. So so here's here's something that I, this is my favorite, my favorite thought on thought leadership. <laughs> I'm glad it, I'm glad about that because it's going to be your last one because we're very nearly out of time. So let's, uh, okay, let's go with so that. Very think about, think about Miracle on the movie Miracle on 34th Street, uh-huh. where Chris Kringle, uh, an employee uh, or a customer, go to Chris Kringle and they go, "Hey, how uh, can I buy this product?" And Chris Kringle would say, "Yes, you can, but it's a little more expensive here. Why don't you go somewhere else?" Well, the thought leader for the company is going to say exactly that, but then go back to management and say, by the way, I think we either need to lower our price or increase our service because our customers are going somewhere else. Right. Because the customer understands value. And if you deliver value to them, they're going to come back to you, even if you sent them away for a single transaction. Yeah. Um, pretty crazy. Yeah. Great. Um. I'm going to have to call it a day. We've run out of time. I'm really sorry. It's been really, really fascinating talking to you. And thank you very much for sharing your your thoughts about thought leaders with us, Mitchell. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, And it just really remains for me to say uh, thank you very much. And goodbye, everybody. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Feel free to visit me at MitchellLevy360, M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L-E-V-Y 360.com. And... uh, Find my thought leadership that will become yours. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye, everyone. Bye.